welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. This is a particularly difficult time for international associations. I had a discussion about this with Greg Talley. Greg is president and CEO of Talley Management Group, which manages 35 international associations. Now he's been helping clients launch virtual events for the short term and look ahead to hybrid meetings in the longer term. But he does feel that the association community needs to completely rethink, reinvent their business models and how they reach out to their constituents and really why they do what they do and how they do it. It's really a time of economic pressure, health concerns, political issues, civil unrest, cracking the foundation of traditional association business models. Listen in as we talk about all those things and more. Hello. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Uh, Every day just gets weirder. Amazing. I think we spoke two months ago and it's like a different world already, even though we kind of knew what was coming on one front, right? Yeah. So where where are you at as a you know meeting planner conference <laughs> conference manager? What happens Oof. to that world? What is happening in your world right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is still the pivot that we're all doing, or whatever you want to call it, to virtual hybrid or something. And I think that is becoming a bigger and bigger thing in terms of identifying the partners, working with clients to make sure they understand what the opportunity is, what the concerns are, and start working your way through it. And it's interesting, you know, you've got clients all over the gamut that say, yes, we're in. Uh, others that are saying, no, 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 it's going to cannibalize, it's too soon, and that we're going to have to start from the very beginning and kind of take them through um, the entire process mm-hmm. and get them get their heads kind of a, around what the opportunity is as opposed to the threat. Right. So, so if, yeah. Go I ahead. mean, it's interesting on the, um, virtual, the virtual meeting platforms, um, I think it's kind of overwhelming for some. Um, I had no idea that there were so many providers. There's probably hundreds of providers right now and more every day entering the market. And um, we just held our first digital event. We converted a live event, um, our women's leadership event to digital, and it went great. And it was amazing that it was so similar to the live experience. The agenda was almost replicated. It was amazing. And... Mm -hmm you know, a, a good value proposition in terms of the cost, you know, versus, I mean, it's, you know, lower on the revenue side, but when right. you back out the cost of the live event, it was kind of a wash. But I think it was overwhelming. I, I can see that it is overwhelming to many people to just, where do we begin evaluating a platform? And the yeah, no, I get it. But, yeah. but the fact is you got to jump in, right? You, right. You gotta, as overwhelming as it is, we've, they're looking to us, um, right? Our, our leaders, our organizations are looking to us to help guide them through this process. So that's where our industry organizations become important. That's where resources like you guys become important to kind of help 
them sort their way through this because you're right there are so many and i think one of the challenges is that everybody's looking for a silver bullet and there is no silver bullet mm -hmm. it's totally dependent on your event and what you want to do with it and your audience and and i think folks are hoping for just just somebody help me well it's it's going to require a complete rethink of your event what you're trying to accomplish and then what are the who's going to be the best partner to help you do that and that's going to be entirely different based on your audience and your outcomes and uh, that's what people are still kind of wrapping their heads around I think yeah. do you have any any planned or any that have taken place yeah I think the first ones are happening this month um, so some of the ones bigger ones that were either postponed or that are gone fully virtual are happening this month so uh, I know we've got one for the American Headache Society that's happening this month that's probably I mean anticipated to be 15 to 1800 attendees International Society of extracellular vesicles is happening this month so we have several um, that are happening this month and being fully scientific, that's where we're integrating the live sessions, recorded sessions, Q&A, poster sessions, exhibits, the whole routine. Have you advised your client, for, your clients for these events on which platform? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of legwork that you've had to do in terms of understanding the um, capabilities of the various platforms and what would work. Yeah, and you know that in many cases, some of the vendors we were already working with were either helping us, we were doing maybe some pre-recorded or some you know education on demand sort of thing, that those are the natural partners if you had any kind of relationship that you started saying, okay, explain to me what else you can do. And you know there there's trust there. There's also knowledge built in there that um, helps that dialogue go along. You have to realize and have the type of relationship to say, okay, tell me what this won't do, and or tell me what else I can attach to this if I'm looking for a networking opportunity and I want to do that virtually. And I don't see that here, and I want to attach that. Can that happen? That's where some of those pre-existing relationships at least allow you to get down to a level to kind of say, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly about this. Don't sell me. You're not going to want to risk our relationship on selling me something it won't do. Right. So that's where partners like Freeman, they have a platform. A lot of the AV companies have platforms that they either were already using or quickly ramped up and are in a position to help. And that way you may not be having to step off into the complete unknown, but also obviously the value of our networks and the value of the resources you provide is some trusted experience to say, hey, have you ever used XYZ? And you get all kinds of feedback. If you do that through PCMA, ASAE, any of those platforms, you can ask your colleagues and they're happy to share. And that's what everybody wants to know. It's like, which is the best? Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting that question. Which is the yeah. best platform to use, you know, from other industries yeah. even? And yeah, it's but it all depends. That's the problem, yeah. right? And but so I do think that's forcing some groups to slow down. And one of the things we're talking about with our clients is, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have to back this conversation up. And we also need to think about this strategically because let's look at what this really means for the organization on a larger front for the next two to three years. Let's just not approach this one-off because there may be other elements where now thinking more strategically about virtual presenting 
what does that actually start looking like? How might we integrate this whole thing in a different way? How might we repackage some of this for sponsor support? So you really have to kind of stop and now think back and more strategically from an organizational standpoint, what makes the most sense here as we look to whatever it is we're going to do and be for the next nine months, 12 months, you, you pick your time length. But I think having that conversation can change a few things about who else you want to include in the organization, what other departments need to be part of this, how do you start cross-promoting, cross you know, what elements drop out of what you're trying to do that you don't want to lose, so you want to set them up somewhere else or do something different for them. So this really requires a, a real dialogue around the stakeholders and the outcomes and what you need to accomplish. Right. And in terms of timing, so you're saying you're looking ahead, you know, will this platform serve our purposes in two, three years? How do you envision going forward? When do you expect to see the first live events happening and or hybrid live slash virtual? My guess is, and I'm I'm living this with a couple of associations, and in fact, the, the association, industry association I volunteer for is ICA, the International Congress and Convention Association. And we put a stick stake in the ground that we would have a November hybrid annual conference. So we were slated to go from Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and we are still going to have the kind of nucleus of the event live to the degree it can be live um, and for those who are able and want to get to Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and then now a um, extended virtual component to this. So it will be a full real hybrid event this fall. And I think that's what you're going to see many of us moving towards this need or ability to be physical somewhere for a variety of reasons. And then now that starts to expand theoretically, as we roll into 21, based on what's possible. What are the restrictions? What are the folks' ability to travel? Um, What does that look like physically in place um, even? And then I think that kind of keeps going while at the same time, the virtual keeps spreading as well. Because what we're learning is what you experienced. And every association is learning that that's jumped in so far that, hey, wait a minute, Um, that wasn't bad. In fact, we got better access and exposure than we would have had all live. And guess what? We made some numbers. Were they the same numbers? Maybe not. Were they awful numbers? No. Um, And what did we learn? What could we expand on? So in fact, we're kind of, as we go down this road and the challenge for our industry is I think starting to learn we can do a lot more of this than we thought virtually and what does that mean now for the live events what are we going to have to do to those live events to actually entice people to come to them if i now have choices which you're going to have to give me Mm -hmm. because i might be a vulnerable audience member where i'm not going to get on a plane no matter what you want to do but you still want me so you're going to give me the opportunity virtually now how are you going to make the experience for those of us that want to go and select your event as one we're going to go to this because I'm probably going to go to fewer as an attendee because either I've got budget constraints or I'm simply not going to cross two oceans or four states, who knows. So you're going to have to entice me that much better to a face-to-face event now because I've seen that I can get probably 70% of what I want from a virtual experience without spending the time or the money. Mm -hmm. That becomes, I think, our big challenge going forward. 
Right. So what are some of the, do you have new enticements to have, you know, encourage somebody to really, really want to be there in person? So I think that's where we're going to have to get really creative as an industry, right? How, how are you going to, what element could you bring in that you can't replicate virtually now, right? You say, oh, I want a better speaker. I want a, a bigger panel. Well, you can do all that virtually. You know, I want 17 more types of networking opportunities. Well, again, when you look at the software where the real growth is in this right now is in the, the networking type of software that you can build into a virtual event because that's kind of, you know, we've been doing online education for a while now. That's been around. This idea of building network platforms that are meaningful and connecting you serendipitously with other attendees or grouping you somehow so you're more likely to bump into the people that you might be interested in meeting, that's starting to become available. So you then start looking, okay, what else um, could I build differently and more creatively? And I think that's going to be a challenge. And maybe that's the destination experience. I mean, definitely could be. Yeah. Yep. But you look at that, and again, because of what we're going to be doing virtually, and we're going to be doing this in ECA, I mean, we've committed to Kaohsiung, we are going to ensure that you have an opportunity, whether it's 360 views, degree views, you're going to be in front of our audience numerous times, so invent and create how you want to present Kaohsiung. So that can be done now even with destinations. Am I physically there? No, I'm not. Could I have an experience with you and maybe it's VR, maybe it's completely immersive, where I'm, you're going to take me through the convention center and show me what you've got. I think this changes everything. I really do. Yeah. And it's a different kind of challenge for the destination to really showcase, you know, figure out how to really showcase the destination so that all the people that are participating, which could be many, many more than would have come yeah. to the live event. Yeah really see what that destination has to offer. Yeah. I mean, there was I, mean one... I think I, this is what I find kind of mm -hmm. exciting about this whole thing is, yeah, it's different, but um, this creates all kinds of opportunities to do it differently. And I think when you figure the pressure that we're going to be under, that everyone's going to be under in terms of economic pressure now, the lingering health pressure, the ongoing concern for health and safety and, and reducing risk, I think this is fundamentally going to change our industry and the choices of events we go to and that they be responsible events. However, that's going to be defined now, both from a, a environmental footprint, a time and money footprint, given the economic challenges we're going to be going through. I think this all now starts being put through a new filter for the decision makers on business travel. Right. And I think that's, you know, A, there's going to be a level of me as an attendee, but that pressure is going to come from whoever's approving my travel budget to say, you really need to do all those trips you used to do. So what will the, the live events, you know, so starting from the ECA event, what will that look like? You know, what, what measures are in place in terms of health safety? Yeah, so we're still figuring that out. We've got, what, six months uh, thereabouts, um, not even five months to, to get there. Um, but I know that we want to use that as a model um, to really demonstrate what will a live event look like under whatever the social distancing restrictions and food and beverage and health and safety. Um, we want this to be a showcase and a case study. So we're working with our partners in Kaohsiung and Taiwan to kind of say, okay, 
let's get creative about this. Um, you know, within the laws, um, and that's fluid right now, so we really don't know what we're planning for. Um, what, what can we do if you're limited to 100 people in a room? How would we have more than 100 people live um, in Kaohsiung? What does that setting look like? What does um, the food and beverage look like? All those sorts of things. So we want to be able to model that and then really use a whole range of technologies available for folks today to, again, model, here's what's possible. Might not all work, but let's really show our, in our space what, what the future potential of large rotating international events can look like, given the fact that we're going to be dealing with some level of restriction uh, as we go forward in this kind of middle period. Right. So I assume you're working with medical professionals in planning the live event. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and within the constraints of what um, Taiwan and the city of Kaohsiung in particular has mandated or will be under mandate at that point in time to allow in terms of restrictions in numbers in spaces, restrictions in how food and beverages served, all those sorts of things will all be based on kind of what what the local guidelines are, as well as then what we and partners can creatively come up with inside of those guidelines. Right. And how many people would you estimate will be there live? That's the big question everybody wants to know, right? And uh, the, the challenge is, say, in Taiwan right now, I think they're restricted to it's either 100 or 200. There's still a multi-day quarantine period. So you start saying, okay, that's today as of June 2. What does that look like in another month? What does that look like in another three months? We don't know. And then, you know, what is the appetite for Asia Pacific to travel? What can they do? What does flight access look like in November? None of us have any idea. So the way we've worked it with our partners in Taiwan is you're going to be the center of whatever we do, no matter what. And if the board can travel, we're going to be there to demonstrate that we support travel, we support live events, but we're now supporting hybrid events. And then to as many others as choose or can make that trip, we'll come back to the decision factors that you and I would think about getting on any plane right now and crossing through international borders and perhaps uh, an ocean or two. And that's a huge unknown. I mean, one one of the industry organizations is, uh, I think it was the IRF, had um, postponed their June event to December. And now, like this week, they're asking everyone who was registered to recommit. There's, you know, they want to say, okay, you, you registered for our event. Can you guarantee that you will, will you be there in December? And I don't think anybody, I mean, some people might say, yes, I expect to be there and you know, be very optimistic and gung-ho. And if it's happening, I'm going and, you know, and... Yeah more power to them. But I don't think anybody can really know for now. And I think that's the challenge of this kind of fluidity of the situation layered on now, particularly here in the United States, where let's talk about what's going on in downtowns of major cities and minor cities all across the country. So who knows what the hell we're going to look like in, you know, tomorrow, let alone uh, six months from now. And I'm really worried about how this, what's happening now looks to the rest of the world and the long-term effects of that. Absolutely. Our, our plan is going to be making decisions based on how destinations dealt with COVID-19. Absolutely. It's going to be one of the first questions we look at. That tells us an awful lot about infrastructure. It tells us all an awful lot about how that destination would respond to a crisis. So 
that's going to feed into the planning. And now you add this on, I literally just came off a call with a group of colleagues from Africa and they're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And yes, people are going to say, we're not going to go and A, we're worried about, if we're all worrying about risk right now and risk has become the number one issue, why in the hell would we go to the United States of America? And, yeah. and beyond, so back to um, the idea of associations really relying on the annual meeting as their big revenue source, as their purpose for being. Do you see organizations that you represent really going back to the bones of, of their mission and their purpose and their business model and saying, now we have to completely reinvent who we are, what we do, how we do it? Yeah, so I think um, number one, we've been talking about really you take whatever the strategic plan was and put it over here and let's have a new discussion about what does this mean going forward for us as an organization? Are we in a survival situation or are we in a just plain, we need to think different now about our profession, our, our industry, whatever piece of, of this we represent and who our stakeholders are and really kind of go back to square one. What do we have to be? What can we be? And how do we deliver value today in what our members need and want from us? And do we have the data to know that? If not, we better get it. And then number two, start figuring out what does that actually look like under whatever constraints we may be operating under, whether those are physical constraints or financial constraints now or what have you. And now what does that mean? So a couple of things we, we think that starts to, to mean pretty quickly. Number one, you're not looking at a single event anymore for 30 to 50 percent of your revenue. You're looking at kind of a stream of interactivity that is providing a whole series of touch points and opportunities for you to engage with your stakeholder sets um, now throughout the calendar year. Step back from that, it's all going to be here. Number two, I think there's again what opportunity, um, what challenges does this present for your industry and your member base that, that you can turn into an, an opportunity? opportunity? What new needs do they have? What new requirements must they meet that associations are in the ideal place to, um, to provide? And I think lastly, and maybe even more importantly, um, what new collaborations and partnerships would behoove you as an organization to investigate right now that might never have made sense before, but now make more sense than ever? If again, if not for survival, then for impact. Could, could collaborating with somebody now help us be more impactful for our members and what we're here to do, whether that's mid, short-term, mid-term, or longer-term, let's initiate that conversation because, again, because of the economic impact this is going to have, um, because of the other impacts we've talked about, everything's different. And I think it really, it does require starting from scratch, you know? You want to you hold know? your values in place in terms right. of all that, but in terms of the what, yeah, I think that's all brand new now. What, right. do our, what do our stakeholders and our members need from us? And particularly for large international meetings, which is, you know, what your base of clients is. We do it every two weeks. We do a pulse survey of meeting right. professionals. And we see when we ask what type of meetings they expect to have fewer of, it is the large international events. Overwhelmingly, yeah. the large international events are what's what's at stake. And I think it's more of a reinvention. I talked to one meeting planner who was planning an event for 7,000 in California. And they 
transitioned it to a virtual event and they had 24,000 people. You know, if there's a, a fee to participate and it's much smaller, you can do it on a larger scale. And then, you know, our experience for our event is we weren't flying people, you know, hosted buyer. We weren't flying people anywhere. We weren't flying 10 members of our team anywhere. We weren't covering hotel meal, just, just the food and beverage events, you know, for two days. I mean, the savings were huge. So even Lauren, all of us are understanding that now, right? Every corporation is understanding. They don't need, didn't, don't need to spend all that travel budget. Every association is actually learning what you just said. Hey, we can do this better in some respects or darn close to it. Right. But at the same time, as part of the meetings and travel industry, we really value the experience of going somewhere and actually having the face-to-face experience with somebody. So it's a real dichotomy right now. Like, you know, as a, as a business, you know, we want to be supportive of destinations and hotels and airlines. So we kind of have to look at it as when we can do that. Yes, we will. People will be very excited to do it, but we can have thousands more people participate on this in this virtual platform so that we're really expanding the reach of our message. But you know, one of the, one of the big things that worries me is when you look at what is, what may be some end results of this whole thing. Um, they're already talking about um, because of the rise of nationalism and what we're seeing where we're going to go back and shorten supply chains or reorder supply chains so that theoretically America's never dependent on China for the important things we figured out we were dependent on China for. Well, if you now play that out globally, that has enormous implications for business travel, and for global events. It starts to say that you and I might have actually seen the last of the glory days, if you will, of large international events, because now you've got all sorts of other pressures starting to happen that are gonna impact the economics of this, again, the ongoing health issues of this, and then the political aspects of all of this. I think there's, a, unfortunately, a real, long-term impact that is going to hurt. Let's go back to what it was. I don't, I'm not sure I ever see that happening again because of um, where we are right now and what we're already starting to see being talked about and happening. You know, just look on the health front. If, if Latin America doesn't get its arms around what's happening down there right now, um, they're going to become perhaps one of the worst areas in the world as it relates to this um, disease. What does that do for them as a future of destinations um, in our space? Again, when you look at corporate compliance or risk, what, cor- what corporations are going to say we're sending our folks down there for a meeting or an event? Not going to do it. So I think there's some really big issues here that we're just starting to realize are going to have impact on what, how we used to think of meetings and events, global meetings and events. And what I we- hate it. I hate that. But I, I know. I'm worried that's what it is. It's very concerning. It is. I mean, even just for business intelligence. I mean, for so many, so many reasons. Right. Um, what is, you know, a positive? <laughs> What's a positive if you can yeah. find one? 
Uh, so I think a positive is there are going to be opportunities out of this. Um, again, in terms of how we do business that we've talked about, I do think what that translates to is probably, again, more regional events or a hybrid international event that is now bringing regions together where we can then do something virtually um, online. So I'm live in my home region, but I'm virtually connected um, to other regions around the world. That's kind of how we're building out the ECA event for November. I think humans are always going to want to do this, get together personally. I think, I think the decisions are going to come down to, is that the right and necessary event for me to do that way now? in light of all these other things. You know, is a reduced footprint from an environmental standpoint an all bad thing? I'm not so sure it is. Does the, does the kind of reduction in over-tourism allow for some destinations to reclaim for their residents the lifestyle and the ability to enjoy their destinations that they used to have? Not a bad thing. And allow us all to rethink a little bit and maybe reset before we rush back to what was. We know there were some challenges with that. And does this give us a chance to rethink that? So this idea of responsible events, I think, comes to all of us, both as organizers and owners of those events, to think about them now more responsibly, as well as as an attendee to say, do I need to attend 14 international events in a year and everything that means. Time, money, economic footprint. I don't know. Well, I'm glad you were able to find some positives because those are <laughs> positive. I mean, when you, when you just look at um, air quality yeah. in so yeah. many destinations, um, it really, it's really sends a message about what we can do. Well, or just we've, we've noticed it. I'm sure you've noticed it without so much of the noise and freneticism of our lives, we've come to a bit of a new equilibrium. You step outside, you hear fewer planes overhead, which means you hear more birds. With more people at home, you hear the kids next door in a way you never heard before. There's a reordering that I think is going to come out of this that is not all bad. Yeah, I agree. Even on a personal level, I, you know, I love to travel and I love to, you know, experience new destinations, but, you know, getting to know my family, <laughs> you know, and I've heard other people say that, you know, there's, yeah. there's something nice about that too. Exactly. So, yeah. And that's where you kind of start to say, does that, you know, if we could all snap back tomorrow, would we want to snap back the same way, right? Have we learned something about this that, you know, all of that go, go, go-ness we were giving up something that we didn't really realize what it was until so if we could go that's what's going to be interesting yep so um yeah um well, <laughs> another 40 days uh, another answer i know to all this. i know and, and i hope that when i touch base with you in 30 days we don't we're not talking about <laughs> the next disaster that we're facing and and we're talking about you know um really figuring out how to move forward in a positive way We'll see. Okay, we will see. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, thank you again for your insight. It's certainly interesting times, and I it will touch base with you again to see how things are going. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate the opportunity. I always enjoy the conversation. So do I. Thanks. Take, Take care. care. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us, and check back for new episodes soon.